0: Thank you, Daisy, for having me in Olive 515. I'm really, really excited to be here. Um, uh, here is not um, it's not exactly where I thought I was going to be. I had a really good background planned. I had trees in the back of our office window, trees that are now down. And I had my nibby very inconspicuously placed to the left of my most gorgeous UK edition of book. But instead I'm in a workspace, which is lovely. Um, And it's been a wild, it was a wild two days um my daughter my five-year-old daughter began to cry because the water dispenser was off and it wasn't filling her mickey mouse cup with cold water and i had to sit her down and explain that people it was going worse for a lot of people everywhere and how mickey mouse if he were alive today would be really bummed out that he couldn't kiss Minnie on the mouth because of covid amongst billions of other things Um, Anyway, what I want to talk about is the way that we ask questions and the way that we shouldn't ask questions, in my opinion. One of the questions I've been asked many times following my book's publication is why I decided to tell the story of three women and to not include any men. And while the main truth is that the three women who I included in the book gave me the most, let me into their hearts and minds and bedrooms in a way that nobody else did. The other aspect of it, if we're talking about gender, was that the way men answer questions is utterly different to the way that women do. And that's not to generalize. It's unfair and frankly unintelligent to generalize the way that one gender processes their feelings and then communicates those feelings out into the world. of course i was a woman asking them questions so the dynamics are skewed and in any case i found the women's replies at least the ones to whom i spoke to be more illuminating than those of the men with whom i spoke and in general i was actually rarely troubled by the way a man answered a question it was more that they couldn't really stop asking questions and when i wasn't interested in asking the questions about myself i was the one doing the asking Um, For an example, not even book related, the other day I was trying to light a fire so that my daughter and I could roast marshmallows and uh, the wood was wet. And so I had to try to find dry wood and dry paper, and I had no lighter, so I broke into an electrical closet at this hotel, and I borrowed a lighter. And then I went back to light the fire, and all of a sudden, an unmasked man appeared and started to put more wet wood on the fire and tried to show me how to light the fire. And I didn't need him to. I hadn't asked him to. And so I threw the wet piece of wood I was holding down at his feet, and I said, fine, you do it. And then I walked away taking the only lighter with me. Anyway, I'm not going to generalize. It's not all men whose questions were troubling. It was not even many men. It was some men. And the one I'm going to talk about in particular was the man whose book, Thy Neighbor's Wife, was meant to be the one that I should be emulating, the model for my book. Thy Neighbor's Wife, for those of you unfamiliar, is a book written by Gay Talese in 1980 that was meant to take the pulse of sexuality in America. And Mr. Mr. Talese researched the book for a decade, and he was very immersive, becoming the manager of a happy ending massage parlor and receiving the happy endings himself in order to fully conceive of how it must feel to get one. Uh, He also spent a lot of time at Sandstone, which is a swingers retreat in California. And he continued to immerse himself by taking part in threesomes and foursomes and twelvesomes, though he had a wife back in New York City. I met Mr. Talese in his townhouse, and I was asking him for advice on how to write a book about sex. He was wearing a 50-piece suit, and he sat somewhat, like, above me. (laughs) He had it sort um, of—my chair was beneath his chair in a way that was kind of unsettling. Um, Anyway, he told me that in order to match his book in any way, because I would never be able— to, to do any better than it, was to use real names, um, which is a little bit different to do in 2012, it was at the time, than in 1980, considering we have the internet. Um, the second thing that I had to do was to ask difficult questions from the get-go, rapid fire, um, just one after the other, so that the subject had no time to lie, and to only give me the truth, even, even if it made them weep. And finally, the last thing he told me to do was I had to sleep with married men. So I went home. I called an editor friend of mine and told him what my idol had told me to do. And I said, did it make it a, me a bad writer, reporter, because I was unwilling to put everything on the line just to, you know, wreck, try to willfully wreck the lives, of wreck a few homes. And my friend said, no, that it did not mean that. And I thanked him. I hung up the phone and I cried. But that was not the part that ended up sticking with me because I got over that part fairly well. What stuck with me more was the way he had told me to ask questions, the way he told me that I had to sort of almost berate a human being and be aggressive in order to get them to talk to me in a certain way. But eventually I found my own way and I used every mode I could think of from the most analog to the most digital. And I posted on Craigslist, I posted on Facebook, Uh, I taped messages. Um, to Starbucks bulletin boards, university bulletin boards, gas station windows, churches, temples, and grocery stores. And I favored bathroom stalls because nobody could see me doing it because it's embarrassing to tape things up. I I couldn't say why, it just is. But the first real location I spent time in was San Francisco, it was a place called the Porn Castle where women were masturbating in front of men who were watching them. And I drove across the country six more times, and I, in the, proce- in the end, my process would end up taking eight years. And one of the most difficult parts about that was finding the subjects. But the second most difficult part was, um, was figuring out how to ask questions, or it wasn't difficult to figure it out, but it sort of come to the understanding that it was okay that I was not asking questions the way that my idol had told me to. Uh, The first woman in my book, Lena, was a housewife or is a housewife in rural Indiana whose husband had told her he no longer wanted to kiss her on the mouth and that the very sensation disgusted him. And I was just, I knew that I wanted to talk to her because the immediacy of her story was so raw to me. But what was also wild was that nobody had ever asked her how it felt to be her. She had been raped as a young woman and then bodily abandoned by her husband for nearly a decade. And she was finally feeling in a way that was so compelling to me. Um, The second woman was Maggie, who uh, had brought charges against North Dakota's Teacher of the Year uh, for a relationship that allegedly happened when she was 16 and 17. And the court trial did not go the way one might have expected it to go. And they told mainly the teacher's story without a regard for her feelings. I found the third woman, Sloane, after moving to Newport, Rhode Island, and I heard a couple of rumors about this gorgeous entrepreneur. And the first rumor I heard was that her husband wanted to watch her have sex with other men. And the second rumor, which was delivered with almost more shock than the first, was that her husband wanted to have sex with her every day. Not only did she allow it, but she enjoyed it. And I found that sort of the judgment involved therein and the fact that nobody was asking her questions about it, they just had rumors about it, was shocking. Um, So what I found by speaking to these three women was that in order to learn about someone, in order to really understand who they are, you have to be tuned in and you have to listen to the way people tell their stories and to the way that they make their stories. But mostly what I found that we all loved when we're asked a question, we all love it when someone says, how are you feeling? Because it means that someone on the other end is, is basically saying your answer, your life matters. And one of the reasons I was able to tune in the way that I did was because I had lost my family right before I started the book or most of my family. And I understood the need for a certain type of connection and a certain desire for unaloneness. Uh, And also as someone who experienced loss, I know, I know that it feels good to expunge. And I also knew that in order for people to feel comfortable expunging, that they had to feel like you weren't going to judge them for what they were saying. And that for also you don't, people don't want advice all the time. They just want someone to listen and and tell them that they've been through it too. So um, one of the things that was interesting to me about Lena in Indiana was that when she came in to talk about how her husband didn't want to kiss her, the women in the room asked her questions. They asked her how she felt. And then when she came in the next time after having slept with her former high school lover and she was just glowing from it, the women no longer cared how she felt. They wanted to know the details. They wanted to know who is his wife, am I his wife? And while those are all questions that I can understand why people would ask, I saw what it was doing to Lena. And I think that we're often hampered by our very selves to ask questions in the right ways and we project our own shame onto others. We don't want to see other women who make the same mistakes that we did because we don't want it sort of brought back up again. And I spent a lot of time with people because I wanted to do everything slowly and carefully. I knew that if I pushed too much too soon that it would be off-putting. And more than wanting to get the story, I wanted all the subjects of this book to feel heard because I knew what it meant to not be heard. And I I knew that I had to capture the women as they were, the images of their lives. And the only way to do that is to ask questions and to ask them at the right times in the right ways, to not just ask for the details, but to sort of ask about, ask in a way that makes them want to tell without even being asked. Um, With Maggie, people have asked me, the young woman in North Dakota who brought charges against her teacher, people have asked me how she is now. And I wanted to just say that out loud because I like telling as many people as possible that after after telling her story, she's heard from so many other young women on Facebook, over Instagram, just email, talking about how her telling her story has helped them be able to tell their own one of the most beautiful examples is that Abby Wambach, who was Maggie's hero growing up because she was a soccer player and wanted to be a soccer star before this relationship failed her, had written, had posted a picture of herself on Instagram reading three women. And I wrote to her and said, Maggie, you're Maggie's hero. And she wrote publicly, Maggie is my hero, which for Maggie, it was just amazing. And she now has a a position in Child Protective Services, and she's listening to others in the way that she was not listening to herself. And I wanted to write her story, not the teacher's story, not the the story, not the facts, but but the way that she felt, because sometimes the biggest facts are in the way that we feel. And, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, we need that more than ever. We need to know how we're all feeling and we can't know how we're feeling unless we ask. And the only way to arrive at that is not like the way my idol told me to do, to ask questions like a reporter on the floor of Congress, not letting a dictator get away with committing a crime against the country, which is of course happening, but I was not a reporter on the floor of Congress. I was someone talking to people who were not in the public eye. And I found out that you, you need to, in order to ask questions, you need to listen more than you ask, to listen without judgment, and then to listen some more. Because to listen is to hear, and to hear is to help. And I feel in some that if I did anything right, that I listened. And then I told a story, and it turned out I didn't have to F one married man in order to do it.